Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. You're listening to Comedy Central. Ariana DeBose, welcome to The Daily Show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I don't think I was supposed to put my hands no, on the you, table No, we're yet. talking. We're talking. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, man, welcome to... It's really good to have you here, especially now. Like, you know, some people, if they're Broadway aficionados, have seen you. You know, you, you've, you've been... Just, I think you've been grinding at this thing in Broadway with 10 years. Yeah, right? yeah. Where you've done everything, every different type of production. You're a consummate performer, singer, dancer, actress, everything all in one. But it feels like this is your moment. Like, it, 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 you know where the overnight success comes together after 10 years? <laughs> yeah. It yeah. feels like that's that moment. Does it feel it the does. same way for you? Yeah, uh, I hesitate to say it, but yes. Um... Why do you hesitate? Because I'm really enjoying it. Like, I'm having fun. I don't want it, want it to go away. You know, moments, they're moments. They're like, they're, they're fleeting, ephemeral, fleeting. No, 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 not at all. Well, like, like COVID you... is a moment. <laughs> and look how long it's going for. <laughs> you know what? You're not wrong. Yes. So, um, I'm just, um, whatever it is, however anyone interprets it, I'm just enjoying whatever this is while it lasts. Because it's been really fun. I mean, it's not every day you get to make a movie with Steven Spielberg and and what you're asked to execute is actually something right. that you do. <laughs> I was like, oh, I have to do other kinds of homework, but the bones of what this job is, I got that. I this love is that. great. I love that. And yeah. it, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's also unique to be in a position where you're having fun, the audience is having fun watching you have fun, mm. and then the critics are having fun as well. Like, that's the perfect combination of what you'd like in art, you know? Because mm -hmm. uh, Screen Actors Guild nomination, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Golden Globe winner, congratulations. Thank you, right? thank you very much. Um, like, it just feels like you, you're in this world. Uh, NAACP award as well, I should mention, yeah, yes. Yeah. That's also another nomination. I was, I was really honored by, by, I'm honored by it all. I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunities to be seen, especially for artists of color. Right. Like it feels like we're all starting to have a different kind of moment right mm -hmm. now. And most of our work is not only being seen, but considered and valued in different ways. And so that's really the heart of why I'm so excited. I think it's an honor for anyone who gets to talk to you because of what you're doing and all of the mediums you're doing it in. Like, Triple Threat gets thrown around a lot. You know, people are like, Does. oh, you're Triple, you're a singer, you're a dancer. But you really are that, you know? SNL was one of the best examples. Congrats, by the way. Oh my God, thank you. I Thank you. I had a lot of fun on that show. You I... look like you did. You did so well that, like, I've seen people crush it on SNL. 
I have seen very few people crush it to the point where people watching are like, Where, where's her SNL? Where's her show? <laughs> now that would be fun. No, people were saying I that. People were like, when that. is Ariana doing her own thing? Well, that's cool. I'm, I'm actually not, not so shy about the fact that I really want to bring the like variety show back. Like I really want to do it. So if anybody wants to hit me up on that, cool, cool. <laughs> um, it seems like to me, you are soon becoming the puzzle piece that everyone is going to have to figure out how to fit around. <laughs> that's cool. I've never been, I've never had that. No, I don't feel I, like I, I've I, ever had that. I so genuinely nice. feel like that is what you are, you are very quickly becoming. I mean, West Side Story is, few films get remade with as much pressure as this one has had. Yeah. You are playing a role that is arguably one of the most important roles in not just film history, but then like in, in the history of so many Latina actresses yeah. where they go like, this was, this was it, you know? Yeah. This was the Rita Moreno moment that changed film for a lot of people. Yeah. It had an influence in your life. Yes, it did. I know I saw it when I was, gosh, I guess about like six or seven, you know? And I didn't understand who she was, but I understood she sort of looked like me and I wanted to dance just like her. And then in, not until my adulthood did I really understand the full spectrum of of what West Side Story did for her, mm -hmm. what what and what she came to mean to our community. But then mm. also the struggles that she faced after winning an Oscar. You know, it's like she became the first Latina to win an Oscar, and then all of a sudden there was no work. Right. So she had to find other ways to expand her career, and I as it makes me very sad that that was her experience, but also when you look at her breadth of work, she showed you that Latinas are not, we don't just do this, we do this. Mm. And that's really cool. I mean, I think specifically related to West Side Story, my being Afro-Latina, that makes me especially proud of what I've been able to accomplish mm -hmm. because we really are not represented on screen. And I don't think that any film is a perfect film, but I do think the fact that we, that my inclusion in this film works, we're the beginnings of getting it right. I like that. And if Steven can do it, one of the greatest directors of all time, because he is, um, then I think everybody else can. He's one of the greatest directors of all time, but you said, you said no to him when he asked you to read <laughs> lines well, in I, the audition. <laughs> I did, but that was simply because uh, I had found out about this audition very, very last minute. I was on Broadway at the time. Uh -huh. I was playing Donna Summer, which was a very challenging role for me. And leading a company does, it takes a lot out of you. And I don't make a habit of going into a room with anyone in it and being unprepared. Do you? Do no, you like being no, but unprepared? I, but if I, like, that's, that's the difference. If I walked into a room and Steven Spielberg was in this room, <laughs> let's say I walked into the elevator in this building and then it was Steven Spielberg. And then he said, Trevor, I need you to read these lines. I'll just start reading the lines. You start reading them? I wouldn't be like, no, Steven <clears throat> Spielberg, I haven't prepared. I would just read. You said, you said no. I said no, because I wanted, I was like, this is, I'm not prepared to show you a viable interpretation of this character. And I would wow. rather do that than, I'd rather give you something that's usable then give you something that's like, oh my God, thank you so much for coming in and next. Like, I want to, if I was going to do it, it already took a lot of guts for me to walk into the room because I didn't actually believe that I'd ever be considered for the job, mm -hmm. let alone get the job. Um, then I was going to do it and do it well. In a way, I feel like you saying no to doing it incorrectly and wanting to do it your way and the best way possible is part of your character. Like that's, that's who Anita sort of is, <laughs> she is in West Side is. Story. It is, that is who she is at her heart. And I think a lot of my characters, like 
there are different bits of me within them, mm -hmm. and that is the part of me that is Anita. So, before I let you go, I'd love to talk about <laughs> one of the most uh, just like amazing moments in, in in film, and and that is when a character who has created a moment in history comes back to the film. Yeah. Obviously, I'm speaking about Rita yeah. Moreno, who comes back yeah. in West Side Story, playing a different role, but comes back as an executive producer. Mm -hmm. And then you're in a scene with her. I wonder if that, if that was a lot of pressure for you. Was there any moment that you shared with her where you were like, okay, this is, this is my thing that I've sort of inherited from her and I have the <laughs> opportunity to turn it into what I want? I mean, we, we spoke briefly at the beginning of the process, but she was very supportive. Thank God. <laughs> she, she made me feel very comfortable and just encouraged me to bring everything that made me unique to the character oh, and nice. just let me, gave, gave me permission in her own energetic way to fly. And now the scene you're talking about is it's deep, heavy subject matter. And so I sort of shifted into just focusing on who the characters were and playing the truth of the characters. Cause if I had actually thought about all right, now you're going to yell at Rita Moreno. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody, if it hadn't been me, I don't think anybody would have been comfortable with right, doing that. Right. So. Well, you know what? You did it. You, you looked more than comfortable. I mean, you, you, you're just sailing. And uh, congratulations on the award. Congratulations on the nominations and everything that you're going to achieve. Um, thank you for joining me on thank the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts. James Corden! Finally! Finally! I'm so happy to be here. So I am beyond excited to have you here because, like, you have come in and genuinely changed in many ways the people perceive not just late night but television. Because I remember when you started on the show, everyone was like, oh, who's this guy? He's starting at, like, 12.37 at night and what's this thing gonna be? And overnight you took what was once considered a fringe time slot and turned it into the biggest explosion thanks to your ideas, including carpool karaoke. Have, like, yeah. Like, has, has, has that changed the way you see the medium as a whole? Uh, I don't think so. I think we always thought that's what we were, we were gonna do oh, when really? we were, we were gonna try to, you know? We didn't know that it, we would, it would happen. We had no idea that it would or could happen as quickly as it did, right. but, but our, I mean, essentially, my, my uh, ego won't allow me <laughs> to recognize that I'm making a, a show that airs at 12.37 at night. Right. I, if I think about that too long, I'll just really get depressed. <laughs> so we were like, well, there's nothing we can do about that. So we go, hang on, wait, the internet, we'll use that. Right, right. And, and so we only really think of our show as not really being in a, a time stop. We think of it as, well, it launches at that time and people can find it whenever they want to, whether that's years down the line right. or days or the next morning on their journey to work, lunch break, whenever. It's the kind of wonderful thing about making shows like this 
right now in this particular time. You definitely, know, definitely. And, and here's the thing, it's not just about uh, time, I think it's also about place. You know, your show was one of the first that really blew up on an international level the same way. Everywhere you went, people were talking about carpool karaoke, they had the sense of what, you know, a rap battle was, and the, the, the whole vibe had changed. When you, when you were making carpool karaoke, though, a lot of people don't know this, you guys struggled to get people on that show. Oh, we couldn't get anybody. Yeah, we couldn't get... I mean, honestly... Because now everyone's like, James, when am I coming on your show? Yeah, it's kind of lovely, but we couldn't... I mean, honestly, we... I really... I really always believed in the idea. Yes. I always thought, oh, this is a... I think this is a good idea. Yes. But there's, um, there's quite an interesting game, actually, you can play with the audience. If everybody in the audience, if everybody now, just in your own mind, don't say it out loud, just... And you do it, Trevor, just think okay. of a... Think of a recording artist, a living recording artist. Has everybody got one? They yes. said no. <laughs> and... It's not a lie. It's the true, absolute truth. And so then we, we... And it was just a chance meeting with Mariah Carey's publicist and she was about to put some new dates on yes, in Vegas. Yes. And, and we, I showed her a clip of me doing it in a sketch with George Michael that I'd done at home for, for right, Comic Relief. Right, right. And, um, and she, she loved George Michael and Mariah Carey was like... If it's good enough for George, it's good enough for me. And, and that was it. And, and nobody thought that it would ever become the thing that it's kind of become, but it's kind of, it, it's it, crazy. It really is amazing. I mean, it's gone from just being musicians to politicians. I mean, Michelle Obama has done it. You know, yeah. you, you, you've been in a car. I mean, everybody from, look, look at this list. Paul McCartney, you know, you, you've had Tom Hanks on the show. You've had everyone, it's become this thing that is larger than life. The next step you do realize is you and the Pope in the Pope mobile. <laughs> Oh, man. And you just can't... You can only I sing the one song. I would absolutely love it. My man, I would you have love to do it. it. If he's watching, and I think he is. <laughs> um, and if he's not watching this, he'll be watching the Tonys on Sunday. So we'll talk... We'll, we'll really get... I would love nothing more than to do it with the I, Pope. I, that, that's, that's something that I've loved about your show, is that it really is an expression of all of your talents, right? So a lot of people were surprised... I remember, the, like, the first few times Carpool Karaoke really blew up, people were like, well, this James Corden guy can almost sing. And it's like, no, no, he can really sing. Which has shocked people, because there's some artists who've come in and been like, oh, I'm gonna sing with this funny guy. And then they're like, wait, wait, he's hitting the notes. <laughs> you sing better than some people, and then you have to d dial it down. I won't say who, but you do. <laughs> and that's why you have won Tony Awards, because you are an actor. Yes, we know you as a host, but you're an actor, you're a performer, and you've loved theater your whole life. Yeah, I mean, I'd never really hosted... Uh, I used to host a, a show back in the UK, which, which you came yeah. on, actually. Uh, but that was my only real time hosting anything. But really what I'd ever do is be in plays or, or I, would, I would write, you know, uh, sitcoms and things in the UK. I never thought that I would... It never even entered my, my brain. In the same way that I don't think it entered no, yours in many no. ways. You host think, a late night oh, show in America, host no. host a daily show in America. It, it, it feels too far away. It feels right. too far... It's out of reach somehow, you know? And I think we both had that feeling mm -hmm. when... Because we essentially got announced at, at basically the same time, right? right? And, and it and, was both, who the hell are these guys? Yeah. Yes, I remember this. And, um, and we both had to really deal with that in our own <laughs> way. <laughs> yes, definitely. But, um, but I, it, yeah, I, 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 don't, I would love to go back and, and act at some point and go and do a, a play again. I, every time I come here to New York and, I, you know, I try and go to the theatre as much as I can, I'm going to go tonight and I, and I miss it. I miss it um, hugely, but at the same time, I, I, I feel in no place where I, I want to stop this kind of glorious journey that I'm on at the minute. Yeah. I, I love it. I love the, the, I don't know what I've done to sort of 
deserve such memories. Do you know what I mean? That's, right, that's right. how it feels every day, really. That's beautiful, you know? man. But the Tonys is like an expression of a world that you've adored for a long time. This is your second time hosting. Yeah. What's impressive is that you're doing the Tonys and you've done the Grammys. It feels like you have more fun at the Tonys. The Grammys are fun, but it feels like you have more fun at the Tonys. Oh, yeah. What makes them special? Well, everybody wants to be there. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's the first real big difference between the Grammys and the Tonys, right. is everybody wants to be there and they're thrilled that they're all doing this. Yes. No one's going, I didn't win, what, you know? Um, so it's, it's a very, very supportive community. That entire community of Broadway, they are, these are a load of people who are squeezed into 12 blocks. Yes. Back-to-back theatres and they know each other and they're, friends, and these are people who eight times a week, like, look, you think you work hard, I think I work hard, but like, when you're doing a play or a musical eight times a week with one day off, that is absolute graft. And the reason I want to host the Tonys and the reason I want to really try and make it the best show I can is I believe that per square meter, there is no room on earth that holds as many talented people as that room does. And it's a show where, and I think you just want to celebrate these people who are so gifted, they are so talented, that they put on a show every day. Right. And in a world where we are living increasingly on our phones and uh, tablets, iPads, all those things, we are all searching for a live collective experience, an experience to be together. And these are the people that provide that. So we're really gonna try and make the best and biggest show we can. I mean, it's terrifying. I've had real moments this week where I thought, oh, I should have just left it at the one I did with Hamilton. And that was a real (laughs) success. You know, I should have just gone out there, but I I really hope we're gonna do it as, we're certainly gonna, stop at nothing to make it a celebration of a group of people that I think, at the absolute minimum, deserve to be celebrated on television at least once right. a year. I'll tell you, know? you this, I've never seen James Corden not do something at 110%, so it's gonna rock, man. We'll see you I at the show. I hope so. Thanks, man. Thank you for being on the show, Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts. My guest tonight is Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Michael R. Jackson. He's here to talk about his smash hit new musical, A Strange Loop, which is currently nominated for 11 Tony Awards. Please welcome Michael R. Jackson. Welcome to the show, Mr. Michael R. Jackson. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the show that you have created that is getting everybody buzzing, let's talk about the name. Let's talk about it. How many people do you disappoint when you show up? I mean, like, not now, obviously. Maybe now it's more like a surprise, but like Michael R. Jackson, people just see Michael Jackson. I don't know. I think, like, I always get people to perk up a little bit when I, oh, when I they like hear, I, like, my name precedes me. <laughs> you just show that, Mr. Ja- oh, Mr. That's Jackson. Right. Yeah. And then, um, the, was the R always, the R was always there, I'm assuming. 
Uh, I kind of dropped it in there to okay. make a distinction. Well, that's I, what I, on Facebook, I'm the, I'm the living Michael Jackson. I like that. <laughs> it's, the only other person who I think has is Michael B. Jordan. That's right. Right. Who, who I, he interned at all my children. I, I interned at all my children when he was like a kid working there. It's really weird. There's a connection. There is. Look at yeah. it. All the famous names people going on to create their own famous things, yeah. and that's exactly what you've done. A strange loop. Congratulations. 11 Tony Award nominations. Thank you. I've, I had the pleasure of seeing this production, and I can't even explain it to people. But you know what I love about it is it makes me seem cool when I recommend it, uh. you know? No, 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 because, you know, in this world, there's not many things you can recommend to people that'll have them leaving feeling like you're so cool because you told them to go. Everyone I tell to see this goes and sees it, and then they're like, Trevor, oh, thank you. So I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I, uh... Did you know when you finished creating this show, did you know that it was going to be the hit that it is? Um, not even close. Like, it was, like, not on my vision board even a little bit. So it was really exciting. But you took 20 years to write it. Yeah, almost. Yeah. That's it... wild. George R.R. R. Martin would be like, yeah, I, I know what that's <laughs> like. That's like a... Did, did, I, I would love to know, that, like, where, this, where this, this idea came from, because I don't want to give anything away for the audience, because part of the joy of this show is that you won't really know what it's about, and you'll just be in a story. But what we can tell people is it is a story of a gay black man who is in the world of theater and he's in the world of being black and in the world of being gay, but it comments on... And every... Gay, black, fat. Yes, and you talk about that in the show. Yeah, yeah. One of the funniest shows I've ever seen, one of the most poignant shows I've ever seen, people crying, people laughing. It, like, that... I see why it took 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it just started off, you know, I was about 23 years old, I'm 41 now, and I had just graduated from undergrad playwriting at NYU. I didn't know what I was going to do with the BFA degree. I was living in this old lady's bungalow-style house in the middle of nowhere, Jamaica, Queens, which if you live in New York, that's like all the way to the end of the E or the F train. And then you take a bus that's like 10 minutes to get to the house. <laughs> it was crazy. And so, and I was just like, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And so I started writing this monologue called Why I Can't Get Work. And it was just about, you know, a young black gay man walking around New York wondering why life is so terrible. So, and from, and sort of the show, sprang from that sort of primordial soup. I, I didn't know that it was, it was true that you worked as an usher at the Lion King. Yeah, I worked at, uh, when the Lion King used to be at the New Amsterdam Theater, uh -huh. and I worked there for five years. I did like four years of Lion King and a, a year of Mary Poppins, and then I did a couple of years later a seasonal sin of Aladdin, so I ran through the whole Disney pantheon. What, was, there anything that, was there anything that you saw where you were like, oh, I don't ever want to see this again in a Broadway show, so I'm going to create something differently? Or was there something you saw that inspired you that made you want to create the show the way you did? Well, it was kind of both. It was a strange loop. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I like what you did there. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, like, you know, you're standing in the back of the theater, you're ringing the bells, you're watching the audience night after night after night, show after show, you get a little bored. And, but luckily, you know, I was there with my thoughts and just sort of thinking through the show. I used to, we used to have to stuff the playbills and sometimes I would write little ideas for, that would go into the show on the back of the inserts right. for like today that this understudy is in or whatever. And, and I would collect them and they would be in all my pockets when I got home. Um, but so it was wild. Like, but I, again, I never expected that anything would come of it, but I just was doing it to sort of keep myself sane. What do you think you have taken away from this? You know, I, I saw so many people in the audience 
who were touched for different reasons. You know, if people grew up in a religious family, I saw them connecting with the show in a different way. If people, you know, had, had issues with their identity growing up, maybe they were bullied, maybe they're struggling today. It doesn't matter what it was. You, you're looking for work in America. You, you know, you're just trying to get by. You're trying to find friends, love. All of these themes are touched on. And I, I, I watched people in the audience feel something. I watched every, everyone walked out just making sounds. That's when you know. No one, no one said anything. Everyone was just like, mm, ah, oh, ah, <laughs> oh, it, it, was, it was beautiful. But then I wondered what you got by creating this, like for yourself. Did it change anything in your world? I mean, I guess for me, the best part of the show has been actually talking to people after, when, like, when it lets out. Because what I've been finding is that for some people, the show is a mirror. And for other people, the show is a window. And that seeing people there uh, together experiencing the same thing, but through those two different lenses, has been creates a really powerful energy that sort of goes up onto the state, goes to the actors on stage, and they they send it back, and it really brings the audience into the loop of the show of, of the character's mind that we're in as we're watching. You you had a great uh, I, I forget what was the phrase you called it. You said it was like a, a it was a big gay big bla- black and queer ass American Broadway show. I love that. Yeah, I love that. You know, no, you know what I loved about that? Yeah, it was. <laughs> was what you just said. I've seen some shows where, you know, if an audience is, let's say, from New York, they really get the show. If they're not from New York, maybe they don't enjoy it as much. Or if the audience is, 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 is black, maybe they get it more or less. This was one of those shows where everyone was enjoying it from, from a different yeah, perspective. Yeah, there's a lot of different reference points sort of in it because that's kind of what it's like to be a person. You're made up of all of your reference points, your history, mm. your different memories, everything. And so the main character, Usher, that's his name, he, he loves a lot of different things, and he hates a lot of different things. And so my sort of hope was, f- by exposing the audience to that, everybody can sort of meet Usher and the show wherever they are, and they can take from it what they need to, and, um, and that the show is sort of promoting a spirit of inclusion for anybody who decides to come in and stick it out. I don't think anybody's sticking it out. I will tell you, not, no, genuinely. Well, no, I, there's some difficult moments for some people. But, it, but you know what? That's, I think that's what made it so amazing. Is, is It's not difficult for the sake of being difficult. It's right. difficult in, in like a there's, life it's way. Not, it's not gratuitous. It's, it's, it's not at all. And, yeah. and, and I've, I, I, I've seen shows where audiences go, ah, I'm uncomfortable. Right. But here it was people experiencing the discomfort right. that somebody else may be living through. Yeah, because that's what the character and I am trying to do, is we're trying to, to get the audience to, to feel what it's like to yes. walk in this skin that they may not be, either that they don't feel uh, familiar with or that they feel familiar with, but feel unseen, unheard, or misunderstood. Yes. It's phenomenal. It's one of the funniest, most intelligent, just everythingnesses that you put. I hope you win every single Tony Award that you're nominated for. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Everyone needs to go watch the show. Thank you for being here. Explore more shows from The Daily Show podcast universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now.